Good morning. As we were singing, I was thinking, uh, so when did Christ, you know, become my remedy? When did He become my cure, heal my life, uh, save me from my sins? Uh, I've been a Christian for 40 years, so I'm 53, so do the math, 13, 13. And since then, uh, since becoming a believer, I've had the opportunity uh, to share the gospel, the gospel, the thing we've talked about on many occasions in all kinds of uh, different places. Uh, young, growing up, I, I'd bring people to church to hear the gospel. I did some evangelistic dating. Not proud of that, but I'm just throwing that out there. I did get a wife at and no, just kidding. We won't go there. I've shared the gospel with strangers on the streets of, of Tokyo, Japan. I've witnessed on colleges, campuses at RCC, UCR, Thailand, Japan. I've done door-to-door evangelism in South Carolina. I've shared with co-workers and uh, neighbors and family and friends many occasions. But I have a, a confession to make. There have been times when I was ashamed of the gospel. Times when I was unwilling to share the gospel because of the fear of what people would think of me, what they would say about me. I remember one time when a friend and I were planning to share the gospel in a, in a local park. But all, all we did was just walk around the park making excuses for why we couldn't approach this person or, or that person. And we came home dejected. We came home ashamed having shared the gospel with no one. And I'm guessing I'm not alone here. Shame and embarrassment has stopped I, I, probably all of us who are believers who have received the gospel have stopped all of us at one time or another from sharing the gospel. Maybe you've been shamed into never sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ with anyone. Well, in our passage for today, the Apostle Paul declares, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And it's my prayer that as we, as we look at this, these words that he proclaims, as we look at his reasons behind his unashamedness, that God would help each of us to grow and overcome our fear and our shame in Sharing the gospel. And before we get to Paul's unashamed, is that a word? Unashamed? All right, thanks. Uh, declaration in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Uh, let's review, let's take a minute and review how we got here. Over the past four weeks, we've been looking at Paul's, this is really the introduction to the book of Romans. Verses 1 to 17, that's the introduction, and we're finishing the introduction today. In verse 1, he introduced himself. He was a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel. That's how he describes himself. In verse 2, he introduced his message, the gospel of God, the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, In verse 5, he introduced his mission. And his mission was to bring about, as we've talked about a number of weeks, this obedience of faith among the nations for the glory of God, to make disciples among the nations. Paul's mission was to proclaim his message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that people would come to faith in Christ, and that flowing from their faith in Christ as their Savior, they would trust in and obey Christ as their Lord. That's his mission. Then in verse 6 and 7, Paul addresses his audience, the church in Rome. He says that they are included in his mission, 
That they are, they are called to belong to God. They are loved by God. They are called to be saints. And Paul continues in verses 8-15, through 15, telling the church in Rome how much he cares for them. He thanks God for their faith, a faith that's proclaimed in the whole world. He tells them that he prays for them unceasingly, specifically praying that he would be able to come and visit them. And he longs to see them for three reasons. To impart some spiritual gift to strengthen them, uh, to, to join with them and be mutually encouraged, that he would encourage them and uh, they would encourage him in their faith. And finally, uh, what we looked at last week, that he would harvest fruit among them. That he might be used by God to bring people to faith in Christ and that he might help believers grow in their obedience of faith. That he might make disciples for Christ in, in the church in Rome and then beyond. Paul says that he must do this. That he's under obligation to the Gentile world. That because he's received the grace of God, undeservingly received the grace of God, that now he's under obligation. He has a debt to all others to, to share with them the grace of God. That he owes a debt. And in verse 15 he writes, So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. As the apostle to the Gentiles, he will proclaim the good news of Christ in Rome and throughout the Gentile world. That's his, his mission. Producing and, and harvesting fruit. Bringing about the obedience of faith among the nations for the glory of God by preaching the gospel. The gospel of God, he calls it. The gospel of grace. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the key to bringing about the obedience of faith among the nations for the glory of God. And it's this gospel, this good news, that this book of Romans is about. And today, uh, we come to two verses, Romans 1, 16 and 17. Paul draws his introduction to a conclusion. And here, in these two verses, we find really what most scholars call the theme of this letter. What we're going to see worked out through the rest of the letter. In verse 15, remember, he says he's eager to preach the gospel. Why is he eager to preach the gospel in Rome? He answers that question in these two verses, giving us the theme for what's going to go, go forward as we study this book. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul's making an argument here. He's stating his theme. He's telling us what he's going to talk about. He's making an argument. He's defending the gospel that he preaches. Remember, he's introducing himself to this church, hoping that they would be part of his support team to send him on to Spain. And he wants them to know, this is the gospel that I preach. He's letting the church in Rome know how crucial the gospel is. And the first thing he wants to be clear about, the thing that we're going to focus on this morning, is that Paul is not ashamed of the gospel. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Now that word ashamed simply means to feel shame. Uh, to be embarrassed by. Now we can feel ashamed for a lot of reasons. Doing something uh, uh, you shouldn't be doing, especially if you get caught doing it. Bragging about how good you are at something and then all of a sudden you start to do it and you mess it all up. Or, or what, if you're, 
But if you're in high school and you invite a girl to a dance and while at the dance she dumps you for another guy, there's some shame. Now, not that I've ever experienced that. Sorry, don't tell anyone. Or what about uh, when people express opposition to something uh, you say or something you believe in? When I was in college at, at UCR, I took a class on the Bible. The professor of this class sort of made it clear that he didn't believe the Bible was the Word of God. And this kind of, what? I thought I was getting a class on the Bible. I wasn't very smart about what you, how UCR was back then. He said that it was filled with errors and contradictions, and he, he talked about some of them, and, and I went out and found other books that showed why he was wrong, and, and, and I, I stood up in the class, or I raised my hand, I didn't just and ask to be heard, and rather ineptly uh, tried to defend God's Word, and, and I was ashamed, I'm ashamed to say that he kind of shamed me at that, the professor did. Now, it's this last example of people opposing what you say, opposing what you believe that Paul's referring to. Everywhere Paul went, people opposed his message. They opposed what he believed. They opposed the gospel. He wrote to the church in Corinth, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and folly to the Gentiles. And that's everybody. You're either a Jew or a Gentile. Both Jews and Gentiles opposed the gospel. Jews were looking for a, a mighty leader to deliver them from Rome. And they stumbled over the fact that Jesus was a crucified deliverer, uh, uh, bringing, uh, delivering them from their sins. And the Gentiles, uh, who believed in powerful Greek gods, just thought the idea of a crucified Savior was foolishness. So throughout Paul's ministry, he faced opposition to the gospel he preached. He faced persecution, both verbal and physical opposition. He was imprisoned in Philippi, chased out of Thessalonica, smuggled out of Damascus and Berea, laughed at in Athens, declared a blasphemer and a lawbreaker in Jerusalem, and stoned and left for dead in Lystra. Paul was almost continuously opposed by people who didn't want to hear what he had to say. They didn't want to hear And they argued against the gospel. And I know for myself, and again, I don't think I'm alone here, I know that when when I try to tell someone something they don't want to hear, especially when it sort of starts this uh, argument, they start arguing against it, I start to feel embarrassed. I start to not want to do it. I start to not want to go forward. And so the question is, how did Paul... In the face of great opposition, while proclaiming a message to people who often didn't want to hear it, why was Paul not ashamed? Why was Paul not ashamed of the gospel? And to answer that question, I want to first look at someone who was uh, opposed for proclaiming and living and even fulfilling the gospel. I want us to begin by uh, looking at Jesus, because I think Jesus provides the example I think Paul was following his Savior in this. Jesus, during his ministry again and again, opposed for what he did and what he said and what he believed. One example occurred when he, when he returned home to his hometown, teaching in Nazareth. The people said, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense to him at him. They took offense at him. 
he offended them. When we offend people uh, with the gospel, uh, just know we're in good company. Jesus faced great opposition, uh, his greatest opposition just prior to his crucifixion, during his crucifixion. He was abandoned by his friends, falsely accused of blasphemy, beaten with rods, ridiculed and taunted, stripped of his clothes, scourged with a whip, tortured in public, and was made to, uh, people were trying to make him feel like a fool as they yelled at him on the cross, you saved others, why can't you save yourself? And the question is, what did Jesus do with this opposition? How did he respond to this behavior that was intended to bring him shame? Hebrews chapter 12, 2 answers that question. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus despised the shame. What does that mean? It means that when, when shame began to threaten his heart, when, when he was tempted to abandon uh, his pursuits, abandon the truth of the gospel, he said, shame, I'm not giving in to you. I will not be defeated by shame. Shame, I hate you. Now, how could he do that? How could he endure the physical and emotional opposition specifically meant to, to shame him into abandoning his mission? Well, you say, oh, well, duh, it was Jesus. He, he could do anything. He's God. But don't forget, Jesus was fully human as well. And he was like us in that he was tempted. He was subject to our human frailties and weaknesses. Hebrews doesn't say because he was of the powerful God, he was able to overcome and he despised shame. It says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Jesus endured the cross and despised the shame because of the joy that was to come. He was looking to something beyond, something in the future, something better, because of the joy that would come to him through what he would accomplish on the cross. The joy He would experience as He became the sacrifice for our sins. As He enabled a sinful people. Uh, as, he, as He became that bridge, that gap between a sinful people and a holy God. As He provided the way for humanity to have relationship with God. As He glorified God by obeying His Father in all things. All of that brought Jesus great joy and enabled Him as He looked to the future to, des- to despise, to endure and despise the shame of the cross. And I believe Paul, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of his faith, he too despises the shame. Despite all the, the cultured Greeks who mock him for preaching foolishness, what are you talking about, the, this cross? How could that do anything? I mean, we have gods, they, they're powerful And all the unbelieving Jews who derided him for preaching a false Christ, he's not our Messiah. How can you say he's our Messiah? We're still under Roman rule. He did nothing for us. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And then he tells us why. Remember, verse 15, he said he's eager to preach the gospel. And in verse 16, he continues, for uh, because, so this is a, I'm eager to preach the gospel because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? It's our 
point B there. The gospel is God's power to save. Four, because it, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul is not ashamed of this gospel because of what the gospel accomplishes. It's an amazing thing. It is, it is the power, within it is the power of God for salvation. It's the good news of Jesus Christ alone that brings salvation to those who believe. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Just quickly, this probably means, uh, refers to the fact that the Messiah, Jesus, came through the Jews. He was a Jew, and, and therefore the gospel of Jesus Christ and salvation came first to the Jews. Now, now we've touched on it. We've sang about it. Uh, Kellen mentioned it. Tom mentioned it. We talk about it uh, pretty much weekly here. Uh, the gospel. Let's just be clear about what the gospel is. This is the thing that Paul is not ashamed of. The gospel is a message. And it's a message that inherent in, the, in that, that word gospel, it's a, inherent in that is a, it's a message to be proclaimed. It means uh, glad tidings or, or good news. It's not something that, that just stays within, oh, I, I, I got the gospel in me. It's to be proclaimed. It's a good news that God, from the beginning, had a plan to bring salvation to sinful, fallen humanity. The whole Bible is the story of the gospel. We saw that last year when we went through the whole Bible. And, and at, the, at its heart, the gospel is the good news of exactly how God accomplished that. That God Himself, through Jesus Christ, entered into our world and provided a way for us to be saved from our sin. He provided a way for us to be saved, to escape the wrath of God. We'll talk about that in a minute. And He provided a way for us to be saved to eternal life in His presence. The Gospel focuses on Jesus Christ and His sacrificial death on the cross. He endured the cross. Jesus provided the way for those who were in rebellion against God. That's all of us. Separated from Him. That's all of us. To be redeemed and reconciled to Him for all eternity. The good news is that by God's grace, through faith, you notice Paul says, salvation to everyone who believes, that by God's grace, through faith, to everyone who believes, we can enter into an eternal relationship with God. And when Paul says the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, he means that the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ, when proclaimed, that God in His power works. He works in lives and He saves those who believe. You could say that God's saving power is revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, it's through the the preaching, the proclaiming, the sharing of the gospel that people are saved by the power of God. As Paul would write later in Romans chapter 10, verses 13 and 14, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Calls on the name of the Lord, just so we're clear, means you're, you're putting your trust in the Lord. His name has authority and power in your life. Everyone who calls upon His name falls before Him. You're my Lord. 
will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? It's through preaching the Gospel that the Gospel is heard and then the Gospel is known and that the Gospel is believed and that people are saved. So Paul in verse 16 has said he's not ashamed of the Gospel because through the Gospel, God in His power, it's not the words that save us. It's what's behind the words, the truth of the words, the truth that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that God saves those who believe those words. They trust in the truth of those words. And then in verse 17, Paul continues his argument. Why is he not ashamed? Why he's not ashamed of the Gospel? Because the Gospel reveals God's righteousness. The Gospel is the power of God to bring salvation to those who believe. How? How does it do that? How does this Gospel work? Verse 17, For, because, in it, in the Gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The Gospel saves those who believe because the Gospel, in the Gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, what does that mean? What does Paul mean by the righteousness of God is revealed? And how does the revelation of God's righteousness save those who believe? Now, this this takes a little work to understand. If you're kind of dozing, you might want to wake up here because this is you got to follow along. I'll do my best to explain what what is meant here. But we need to remember we're just at the beginning of this letter, okay? Uh, Romans 1, 16 and 17 is part of the introduction. It's the theme of the letter. Paul will explain and expand upon this theme throughout Romans. So this is kind of a, a summary. We're going we're gonna to come back to this again and again and again as Paul refers back to it. But we'll, move, we'll look forward for a minute to try to understand what he means by this. Now, uh, in, in looking forward, uh, let me ask you this question. It's not a trick question either. Uh, what follows right after Romans 1.17? Romans 1.18. Yeah. Man, I'm glad you guys came. Uh, for the wrath of God. So right after that, right after he says the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, the righteous will be lived by faith, he says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Notice the word uh, revealed again. It's right there. It's in 17, it's in 18. Revealed uh, wrath, revealed righteousness. This begins, verse 18, begins uh, really the first section. There's the introduction. We're ending today. Next week we'll start with verse 18, beginning this first section of the letter. It goes from verse 18 of chapter 1 to verse 20 of chapter 3. And in that section, Paul is really... uh, it's going to be a little bit of a bummer, just so get you prepared. We're going to be slogging through it for a little bit. But Paul is establishing the fact of what he says in verse 18, that we're ungodly and we're unrighteous. And therefore, all people, he's not pointing the finger, he's not going to point the finger at the Gentiles or the Jews. He's, he's saying all people, he's going to show this in, the, in these chapters, all people are subject to the wrath of God. What Paul does in this first section is establish the need for the gospel. 
we're going we're gonna, to, after we spend the time in those chapters, we're going to go, whoa, we need something here. We need, we need help. All of us need help. Here's the situation, he says, because of our sin, because of our ungodliness and unrighteousness, we're in trouble. We have a major problem. And that problem is not war or famine or crime or global warming or terrorism. Our problem is the wrath of God. Because of our sinful rebellion against God, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And by revealed, he doesn't mean that we will just see the wrath of God. Oh, there it is. There's the wrath of God. By revealed, he means that we will receive the wrath of God. The wrath of God will come upon you. That's what Paul will make clear in this first section. Verse 18 to chapter 3, verse 20. He makes clear all humanity deserves nothing less than the wrath of God. Humanity, by our sin, has earned the wrath of God. For the wages of sin is death. And there's nothing we in ourselves can do about it. That's going to become clear. I'm giving you a foreshadowing of what's coming. But, starting in uh, Romans 3.21, we'll look at this, but God, in His love and grace and mercy, has intervened on our behalf. And that's what Paul's talking about in verse 17. Instead of the wrath of God being revealed, in the Gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And by revealed, he doesn't mean that we just see it, that we just see out there, oh, that's the righteousness of God. He means that those who believe will receive the righteousness of God, just like those who don't believe will receive the wrath of God. In Romans 3.20, Paul makes it clear that no one, no one will be made righteous by the law. He talks about different things. You can't be righteous, you can't be righteous, and he gets to the law eventually. You can't be righteous through the law. And then in verse 21, he writes, but now, this is the new, the but, new section here, but now the righteousness of God, referring back to verse 17, has been manifest, revealed apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. No one will be saved by their good works, by keeping the law, but something has changed. And that change is found in the Gospel. But now, through the Gospel, the righteousness of God has been manifest. It's revealed. The Gospel reveals, it tells, it shows the righteousness of God. The law and the prophets, referred to here, can only bear witness to the righteousness. You can only see what the righteousness of God looks like if you read through the law and the prophets. Oh, that's what God means by righteousness. But it's revealed. You can, the law and the prophets cannot provide righteousness. But now, the righteousness of God, it's, manif- it's here. It's, it's like it, 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 it shows up. We're looking at it, we're hearing about it, we're reading about it in the Old Testament and the Law and the Prophets, and then it shows up. Where is the righteousness of God manifest apart from the law? Where does it show up? Next verse tells us. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The righteousness of God is revealed. It's made manifest through faith in Jesus Christ. God's righteousness is seen in those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. 
Those who put their faith in Christ receive. They don't just see. They receive the righteousness of God. We are made righteous. We're made right before God through faith in Jesus Christ. So the gospel, the gospel is good news, bad news. It's bad news for those who do not believe in Jesus Christ. For them, the wrath of God will be revealed and received. But it's good news for those who believe in Jesus Christ. For them, the righteousness of God will be revealed. The righteousness of God will be received. They will be uh, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, the Scripture says. That's the Gospel. That's what Paul's saying in verses 16 and 17. For I'm not ashamed of the Gospel. How could I be ashamed of this totally amazing truth, this totally amazing thing? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The Gospel is is the power of God for all who believe. It saves us from our sin. It saves us from the wrath of God. And how does it save us? For in it, in the Gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. In the Gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. The Gospel. In the Gospel, we who deserve the wrath of God because of our unrighteousness, we're given through Jesus Christ, through faith in Christ, we're given the righteousness of God. We receive the righteousness of God and therefore we're no longer subject to the wrath of God. That's cool. That's amazing. That's the gospel. And how do we receive the righteousness of God? By faith. From faith to faith. By trust. By believing. Those are uh, this family of words we use to describe what it means to, 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 to believe, to trust, to have faith in Christ. And once the righteousness of God has been revealed to us through the gospel of Jesus Christ, once we've received the righteousness of God, how then shall we live? We live by faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness we receive from God through Jesus Christ is, is not a one-time thing. We've got to get this. We've got to get this. Because uh, oftentimes I've, I've come to faith. I've believed. I'm trusting in Christ. I'm done here. You know, the grace of God, it's all over. But it's not a one-time thing. We live by faith. We live by faith, it says. We continue throughout our lives. We begin our new life with Christ by trusting in Him. And we continue our life with Christ by daily trusting in Him. That word in in verse uh, 16, everyone who believes, that word believes is in the present continuous tense. Everyone who believes, believes, continues believing. So Paul, like Jesus, uh, he despised the shame. I'm not going to be ashamed of the gospel. He received uh, actions and words that, should ca- that would, cause, uh, it would cause a shame. But because of he was looking to the future, he was looking to what the gospel did, the results of preaching the gospel would be uh, eternal salvation and eternal joy for everyone who believed. For the joy set before him, I think we can say Paul endured the physical, earthly suffering and shame because of the joy which results from preaching the gospel far outweighed the shame brought on by any opposition Paul faced. I don't know about you, but if you've had the opportunity to share the gospel with someone, whether they believe or not, I mean, it's super great if they believe, but even if they don't, you get this sense of, okay, I'm, 
the sense of joy. I'm doing what God wants me to do. I'm getting, I'm, I'm trusting in God to work in and through me. I think Paul experienced that. And so the question for us this morning is, how can we not be ashamed of the gospel? How do we, like Paul and Jesus, overcome feelings of shame when we're opposed for believing and sharing the gospel? Answer, by understanding and believing. It's a heart matter. I mean, we might want to start with prayer. But by understanding and truly believing, uh, do you really believe what you really believe is really real? Really believing, trusting what Jesus and Paul understood and believed. That the gospel has the power of God to bring salvation to sinners. I mean, this is the greatest news in all human history. That the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. That nothing in this world is more powerful than the gospel. That the gospel alone, alone, can impart the righteousness of God to a sin. There's no other way. This is it. Nothing compares to the gospel. Nothing substitutes for the gospel. Judaism that stops short of Jesus, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, they don't have a Savior who can solve the problem of sin. You have to do it on your own. And as Paul will show, this is what we're going to be spending time on, get prepared, I'm telling you, as Paul will show, you can't do it. No one can do it. Sin brings unrighteousness, godlessness, and separation from a holy God. And, and the only message that saves sinners and brings them safely into the presence of God is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That by grace you're saved through faith. It alone, when believed, is the power of God for salvation. Therefore, Paul would say, I think Jesus would say, uh, suffer, yes. Be misunderstood, yes. But do not be ashamed. Do not be shamed into silence. For the joy set before you, let let the joy found in your salvation. Do you have joy in your salvation? I mean, this is a message for those that have, have trusted in Jesus Christ, right? If you have yet to believe in Him, that's what you need to take care of first. But if you have, and you experience that joy of salvation, for the joy of your salvation, and for the joy you know others will receive from salvation, Let that inspire you to take up your cross and follow Jesus. Face opposition. Despise the shame and be unashamed of the gospel. Wherever you are. I mean, mean, if you need need to go to Africa, that's not the right way to say it. If God's calling you to Africa, go. Some of us are going next summer if you want to go with us. As long as you're one of the first 20. I think that's our limit, right, Kellen? 20? We can fit 22, right? Yeah. He's laughing back there. Anyway, go, you know, but, but do it here now. Don't be ashamed of the gospel with your family and your friends and your co-workers. Because the message of God's saving work in Christ is the only message, the only message that can turn an unrighteous sinner into a righteous saint. Now let me conclude by just acknowledging uh, the challenge we have in our day. And encouraging us that even though our day is a little different, I think, than the past, but encouraging us that we still need to face this challenge with the gospel. Let me ask a question. How do people uh, shame 
you shame Christians today for believing and sharing the gospel. It's not exactly the same way that they did in the past. In the past, unbelievers opposed, criticized, scoffed at Christians because they did not believe the gospel was true. They didn't believe the Bible was the Word of God. They didn't believe Jesus was the Son of God. They didn't believe His crucifixion and resurrection. Well, they didn't believe the resurrection happened. They didn't believe His crucifixion had any effect. Thirty years ago, when I objected to the way my uh, UCR uh, professor disregarded the Word of God, he pointed me, uh, he pointed the class to scholars who, like him, didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. But in recent years, maybe, maybe 25 or so, the main objecti- objective or criticism has changed a little bit. People oppose Christianity, they oppose the gospel, and not only because they don't believe it's true, they oppose it for claiming that there is truth. For claiming that we, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, have the truth. They say, who are you to claim you know the truth? Who are you to say, this isn't true for you and this isn't true for me? Who are you to say there is truth? Today, the shaming is not to say you're wrong, but to say that you're arrogant if you think others are wrong. Not that you have bad thinking, but that you're a bad person. Shaming today is the accusation that you're intolerant and egotistical. That if you claim to know the truth, then you don't love those who don't share your truth. Uh, They say that you're just a hater, right? And so we ask the question... We want to know, uh, how do we respond, how do we share the gospel in such a way that they won't think we're a hater, uh, we won't face the shaming opposition? And what we mean is, how can we share the gospel and not be hated? And you know what the answer is? No can do. You can't do it. Jesus was hated. Paul was hated, and we in our generation will be hated for sharing the gospel. If you don't want to be hated, don't share the gospel. It's part of the deal. As Paul wrote to his disciple Timothy, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And part of living a godly life, maybe a main part of living a godly life in Christ, is telling others about Christ. Therefore, sharing the gospel will result in persecution of one form or another. But the thing we need to hold on to, I think, uh, the thing that is true in this, even when we're persecuted for being intolerant, egotistical, for the persecutor's sake, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the glory of God, we have to remain steadfast. Because it's easy to say nothing and be thought of as loving and tolerant and accepting, but it's difficult, it's difficult, it's extremely difficult to truly love. And there's no more loving thing in all the world than to proclaim the gospel. To tell the truth about the way to salvation. Now that may, there may be things you need to do before that. Establish relationship. You know, you, you may need to, uh, uh, to know people. I'm not talking about just beating people over the head with the gospel. But eventually, the most loving thing you can do for someone is tell them how to be saved. 
Tell them how to spend eternity with their heavenly Father who loves them. To tell the truth about the only way to salvation. If Jesus has said, and He did, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to Me except through the Father. No man come to the Father except through Me. Then for the sake of love, we have to despise the shame of our loving, tolerant, accepting culture. We have to be willing to be hated And we have to tell them there's no salvation. There's salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. The gospel of Jesus Christ alone is the power of God unto salvation. It reveals the righteousness of God. It reveals that Jesus Christ died in our place so that those who believe might be given His righteousness might be clothed in His righteousness. This is the Gospel. This is the message of truth that we must not be ashamed of. Because if we allow our culture to shame us into silence, then we doom them to the wrath of God. It's kind of a bummer ending, but that's where I'm ending. Would you pray with me that each of us would, like Paul, be eager to preach the Gospel. That in obedience to God, for His glory, for our good, for the good of others, that we would not be ashamed of the Gospel. Pray with me. Father God, Lord, do a work in our hearts. Transform our hearts to to care much less about uh, what the, the world thinks and care much more about what You think. Lord, transform our hearts to care deeply about uh, the spiritual, eternal destiny of the people in our world instead of how the people in our world view us right now. Lord, help us, help me to not be, to never be ashamed of the Gospel. To look for, to find to opportunities to, to share it. To look for ways to build relationships with people that they might see our lives and see the Gospel working out in it and want to hear and want to know the truth of how You've worked in our lives. Lord, be with us. Bless us. And give us hearts of boldness and and pride even, Lord, not in ourselves, but in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. For it's in Your name we pray. Amen.